Masechet Pesachim, Daf 26. Uh, we're speaking about a really interesting case here about uh, deriving benefit when you don't intend to. Uh, this can happen a lot today, kind of like, you know, let's say there's some anti-Semitic band, that you, but you like their music. So obviously you're not going to buy their, their stuff, but you know, what if you're just walking by and someone else is playing it? Can you stop and listen? You know, what if it's unavoidable? What if you're shopping and it's uh, in the background? Do you have to run out? Right. So there's lots of cases where uh, we, um, we, we, we don't either it's impossible not to, or we could avoid it, but we don't, we're not intending to derive benefit from something that would be prohibited. All right, so there's lots of examples like this. Example we said yesterday was like, there's McDonald's on your office. And so, you know, the simple way is to go to your office, you would have to pass by and smell the basar b'chalav. Um, but what if, okay, so if it's a case, I'm looking at the, uh, going back to this chart, if it's a case that's possible to go another way, you could easily go another way. And you're going to specifically go buy McDonald's and intend to take a whiff and say, ah, oh, I like that. Everyone agrees that that's prohibited. On the opposite extreme, uh, if there's no other way to get to your office, okay, maybe there is another way, but it's very difficult. Like, you know, you can go uh, 10 blocks out of the way. You can helicopter down to, to the roof of your building uh, in order to avoid the, the McDonald's on, on, the bay, on, the, on, the, on the first level. Okay, you don't have to go to that extent. We're talking about if it's not feasible, it's not a, um, an easy way to go a different way to avoid it. And I don't intend to, right? I'm just going to my office. I'm not uh, intending to, to, to smell. So therefore, in that case, everyone agrees it's permitted. Uh, the difficult cases are the ones in between. And this is the one that we're going to speak about mostly tonight. Uh, when it's not possible to avoid it, right? This is the only convenient way to go. And I do intend. I say, you know what? I really like, you know, that music that I'm listening to or the smell. And so I do intend. In this case, we saw two versions. We're going to only focus on the second version of the machloket between Abaye and Ava today. Um, in this second version, uh, we said it's a machloket between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon, according to Abaye. According to Ava, Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda would both prohibit. So actually, the only case that they, uh, um, according to Rabbi Shimon, they agree. The only case that they, Abaye and Ava, disagree is this case, when it's not possible and you intend, according to Rabbi Yehuda, in which case Abaye would say it's permitted, and Ravah thinks that according to Rabbi Yehuda, it's, excuse me, it's prohibited. That's the case we're talking about, and we're going to bring a few questions and answers. Um, have in mind this box also, because this box is going to come up all, uh, as well, the, the first version. Even though everything's going to be a second version, uh, the first version um, is... Uh, uh, in that one, the other uh, in-between case, when it's not possible and you and he also you do not intend, um, there everyone prohibits, according to Rava. Okay, here's an outline of what we're going to see today. Uh, we're focusing on the cases that are unavoidable, but intentional. Okay, I can't go any other way, but now that I'm going this way, I really like smelling this thing. Abaye says permitted, Rava says prohibited, all according to the Buddha. We're going to see five different proofs. Well, the first one will be for Abaye, and then the next four proofs will be for Rava. All of the proofs are going to be uh, refuted. In other words, the, every, a proof for Abaye is a question, is a challenge to Rava. They'll all be answered, except for the last one, which will be a refutation of Rava according to the first version. Uh, but otherwise, all, all the rest of them will be according to the second version. 
All right, let's go. Let's jump right in and see the first interesting case. Amar Abaye, mina amina la detanya. Amru alav araban Yochanan ben Zakai shayay yoshe b'silo shelechal vedoresh kol hayom kulo. Rabbi Yochanan Zakai, he's a very famous sage, the one who was snuck out of the city of Jerusalem in a coffin. Remember him? And he said uh, he when the Bet Hamikdash was up. And lots of Jews would come to the Bet HaMikdash for the holiday. He would be giving a lecture on Yom Tov uh, to a large crowd. There was no room that could fit all of those people. So he would stand on the top of the mountain, on top of the Temple Mount, and give a sermon. You might call it uh, the Sermon on the Mount, let's say. Um, and uh, all the people would be there. And he did it um, in the shadow of the Hechal. The Hechal was 150 feet tall. And so it provided lots of shade for all the people there. And so this is a question. Or this is a proof, rather, Tabayeh. Now, in this case, they're benefiting from the Bet HaMikdash building, from the Hechal. They're benefiting from its shade. And generally, you're not allowed to benefit from anything in the Bet HaMikdash. You can't take person, use it for personal gain. You can't take a pot from the Bet HaMikdash and cook your, uh, your scrambled eggs in it, right? And so here, the Bet HaMikdash building is there for its own sake. It's not there for you to derive benefit from. Um, on the other hand, it's a case where lo efshad. I mean, where else are you going to find a convenient spot that uh, everybody comes to that could fit all the people? Uh, there's very few auditoriums. It's not going to find another place. Um, and they are having intention to, to use the shade. They're glad that the shade is there. And yet it's permitted. So you see, this is our exact case, the case that there was, was the machloket here, right? It's not possible to go anywhere else. You intend to benefit from it. And yet the Yochanan and Zakai used it. So that's a proof for Abaye, who says it's permitted. Okay, pretty good proof. However, now in this case, it's okay because the walls of the Hechal are meant for the inside. They're meant to close in the Kodesh, Kodesh and the Kodesh Kodeshim. And so therefore the primary use would be if you were inside and you were leaning against the wall. That would not be okay. Even today, there's a halacha. You shouldn't be leaning when, you go, when you're on the teva, when you go up for an aliyah, right? You shouldn't be leaning on it. Uh, it's not respectful to the Torah. Also, you're using something. So if you go in the Bet HaMikdash and lean on the wall inside, then it's no good. But that's the main way. Here, I'm only using the outside of the wall, and that's an unusual way of deriving benefit. And that's why Rabbi Yochanan Mezakai was permitted to do that. Otherwise, you're right, it would be prohibited. So Ravak is able to explain that case. All right, so that's number one. Now all the rest of the cases are going to be proofs for Rava, who is stringent. This is Mina Aminala, what's my proof? Now he's going to quote a Mishnah. This is a Mishnah in Masechet Midot. Um, Midot is one of the oldest Masechetot describing all the, the Midot, the uh, measurements and, uh, and what went on in the Bet HaMikdash. Um, and uh, usually when we introduce a Mishnah, we use the word Ditnan, right? Tanan means our, we, we learned. Uh, the Tanya means it was taught, which is usually for a Braita. Uh, so therefore, in, in the printed editions, it says the Tanya, but it's put in, the, in parentheses. And on the margin, it says, you should read here, read here Ditnan because it's a Mishnah. Actually, if you look at the manuscripts, most of the manuscripts have the Tanya. Right, even though it is in fact a Mishnah. What you learn from this is that the terminology that we're used to 
was was uh, perfected and developed later on. In, in the old manuscripts, sometimes a Mishnah is called the Tanya, and uh, the and the terminology is interchangeable. It's really only uh, once printing comes, and in this case, you know, post printing, that we, they uh, are systematic in saying every Mishnah should say the Okay, so anyway, manuscripts do say the Tanya, but it is a Mishnah in Masechet Midot. What's the case? Lulin hayu pituchin baliyat bet kodsheha kodashim, shabahen mesharshelin et haumanin batevot, kedosh elo yazunu anehem mebet kodsheha kodashim. The question is, in the kodesh kodashim, what if a tile on the floor breaks? What if someone needs to change a light bulb or to dust around in there? Who can go in there to uh, to uh, to fix it? All right? Only the Kohen Gadol once a year on Yom Kippur. He's not spending time fixing the floor tiles while he's there. And so what they used to do is they they um, there were holes in the ceiling, lulin, and that they could they could uh, open up those uh, pockets in the ceiling, and they made a box and they would lower a uh, a carpenter down inside that box. And he would go and do his fix his things, and then they would lift him back up. Why? Why does he need to be in a box? Uh, so that his eyes will not benefit from looking around at the kodesh kodashim. It was very beautiful. There's gold and designs, and those gold and designs are there for the glory of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, for the shechina that's there, not for our benefit. It's an amazing thing, right, to think about uh, mitzvot. You know, like uh, we don't smell the etrog, right? Because it's made. It's made. We're not, we're not supposed to um, derive personal benefit. Uh, and instrumentalize uh, these things that are meant to be holy. And so therefore, even though he's going in there to fix things, he should not uh, derive benefit. And that's why we put him in a box. So we'll only uh, look at the thing he's, he's supposed to and uh, not look around for, at the architecture. Okay, now, Now in this case, you know, what if he didn't have the box? Right, this would be sufficiently a, a case where it's unavoidable. You don't have to go to so putting a box in is like putting a, you know, bringing a helicopter down, right? Um, so really, uh, you, what it's saying is that even though it's a case where it's very difficult otherwise, and he is he is has intention because it says. Right, he's going to go out in there. He's going to say, "Oh, wow, this is really beautiful." He's going to intend to bend, to to enjoy the scene, and yet we say it's still prohibited, and that's why we have to make the special box uh, because, uh, and otherwise, it would be not good. So you see, Rava says this is a proof for me that they went to all this extent not to simply allow the person to walk in the front door and look around. Um, okay, so our case where it's impossible, but you do intend to benefit is prohibited. Now um, we're going to have to we're going to we're we're going to reject this proof, which will help Abaye. It is better. Okay, this is a long list. A list. It's all the name of Bar Kapara. Bar Kapara was an in between uh, on the borderline of the Tanaim and Amoraim. This statement is going to come up two more times, so I'm going to refer to it as the Bar Kapara statement. He says, Kol en behen mishum A sound, listening to music, or looking at architecture, or smelling something, is not considered me'ila. Me'ila means deriving benefit from something that is holy. These are not tangible benefits. Only if I take some you know, meat that's holy and I eat it, or I take a frying pan that's uh, holy and I use it, that's a tangible benefit. But just looking at something or hearing or smelling, 
that's not tangible and there's no me'ilah. So you see that there would have been no problem really for the for, for anyone, for a carpenter to go into Kodesh Kodashim. I know the law only once a year, one person, that's for Abodah. If you got to go fix something, you go and fix something. And so it wouldn't be a problem for him to look around you could look around and derive benefit. There's no me'ilah according to this. So what's the reason that the Mishnah says that they made this box and, lift and from, uh, lifted it from the ceiling? Only because a special high standard uh, that they wanted for Kodesh Kodashim to show this great respect. So that they did that. They went, really went out of their way. And, uh, you know, even just hearing about this now, you say, wow, this is, uh, you know, this is very, very holy space. So that's why they did it here, not because there would be any prohibition to actually look around and admire the architecture. Okay, that's all one version of this, of what Ava said. And now the second version, we're going to take Barakapara here that we used as an answer. Uh, we're going to put it into Ava's statement as part of his, part of his proof. How do I know my stringent opinion? So it's quoting the very same thing, which seems like it's lenient, but he's saying, oh, there's no me'ila. Me'ila is a very, very uh, uh, strong uh, um, law. It means you have to bring a korban and all that. Okay, there's no, no me'ila, but even if there's no me'ila, the... the uh, insinuation is that is still prohibited a lower or lower level prohibition so there you go here's proof for me right that even walking into the um going into the being in the kodesh kodashim and uh and enjoying the scene that would be prohibited right because in this case even though it's kind of unavoidable uh and uh, but you are you are intending to derive benefit and that would be prohibited so that's a good proof for Dava, right not necessarily. My love, the Tana Amdim Bifnim, the law of Shavit Kamechaven, the Asur, or so Rava would say, it's meant here for the people inside, the Kohanim who are serving inside, or a carpenter who goes inside and he's doing some work. And that's the person that not allowed to look around. And we say, it's talking about the bystanders that are coming from outside, the people coming like us, we're coming to visit and uh, we're kind of looking inside and peeking in. So that's the problem. In that case, it's totally avoidable. You don't have to be there. You're not doing anything productive there, right? And you can easily divert your eyes away. And so therefore, you, um, therefore, the people outside would be prohibited from, from doing that. But the people who have, are going inside, they have no choice. They have to fix something. They have to do some kind of avodah in there. And so therefore, they, since they have no choice, even if they intend to, to uh, derive benefit, uh, enjoy the architecture, it's still permitted. Um, okay, and so that's, uh, that's the conclusion there. Okay, now that we quoted this statement, um, about the artisans, about the deriving benefit, we're going to go to two tangents from this. Number one, is smell really a prohibited benefit? We're going to answer um, yes. Uh, and how about, is benefit prohibited after the mitzvah is done? I used it already for the mitzvah, mitzvah is done. Is it still prohibited to, to use uh, that item? Okay, so Gufa, Amarabi Shimon ben Pazi, Amarabi Yoshua ben Nevi Mishum Bar Kapara. Um, okay, so we're requoting uh, what we just said that there's no right, there's no meila for these intangible benefits. 
Bereach en bo mishum me'ila. Wait, is that true? That smell is intangible? Vehatanya, ha-mefatem et ha-ketoret li-tlamed ba, o le-mosra la-sibur patur. Lariach ba hayav. In Shemot, where it talks about the, uh, all the ingredients and everything, how to make the ketoret. There's another there's a pasuk there, 3038, that says, anyone who makes the ketoret outside the Bet HaMikdash, you make it at home for your own purpose, because I want to smell what the ketoret was like. That's prohibited. It has a, its own special prohibition. You're not allowed to make the ketoret on your own. Um, if you go to the Bible Museum here in uh, Borough Park, you know that museum? Also in Shiloh. Anyway, a lot of, they, they sell all the ketoret spices, right? And so I hope they got some of them wrong, because otherwise, if you try this at home, it's not good. Of course, you have to know also the exact uh, ratios and, and uh, how to make it. But okay, so you're not, if someone, if someone um, makes it at home, leharichba, to smell it themselves, chayav. If you're doing it just to study how, and you know you happen to do a good job and you happen to smell it, that's okay, because you're doing it in order to study or if because you want to donate it uh, to the community, to the, to the Bet HaMikdash, and you're making it so you could donate it, then patur, and you happen to smell it, that's okay. Only if you're doing it on purpose to smell it. Now, if let's say you're actually in the Bet HaMikdash and you're a Kohen and you're doing the Ketoret, if you're actually doing in the Bet HaMikdash, you don't violate that special prohibition in Shemot, right? Because that prohibition is only if you do it for yourself. Um, but, but you do violate Me'ila, because even if you're a Kohen and you're doing everything you're supposed to, you should not derive personal benefit from something that is Kodesh. And so that Kohen has to make sure not to intend to smell the Ketoret while he's there. What do you learn from here? That that smell is, is substantive enough, is tangible enough to require, to violate me'ila. And that goes against Bar Kapara's statement, because he said, Reyach, uh, en, en So how are we going to resolve this contradiction uh, regarding smell? Happens to have a graduate student now in Revel who's writing her dissertation all about smell. And so I have to make sure that she's, she's including this sugya. She probably is. Um, so now the papa is going to uh, revise the statement of Bar Kapara. They only talked about sight and uh, sound and sight. Those two things are not tangible. If you do enjoy the uh, music from the the uh, Bet Hamikdash, uh, then you're not called Meila. Um, and if you enjoy the architecture, you don't violate Meila because it's not tangible. But Reach, Lachar Shetale Timuroto, and Bomisho Meila, Hoil Venaset Mitzvato. But smell, um, uh, a smell is tangible enough. And therefore, at the time that he's making, making the ketoret, if he purposely smells it, he'll have to bring a korban for me'ila. But now we're going and adding a different a limitation, only while the smoke is going up. However, after he does the, the main, the, the main uh, uh, fire pan and the smoke, uh, the pillar of smoke goes up, after that's all, you know, after it dissipates, but there's still some, some of that smell around, and bo me'ila, right? In other words, once he did the mitzvah, you fulfilled it, Finished, and now there's a little bit of smell left over. That's okay um, because the mitzvah is finished, so no meilan anymore. All right. Now that we just added this, we're going to ask about that. 
Um, yeah, just one last point of, uh, uh, on this. You know, according to the statement that we said here before, that uh, sound and sight is not me'ila, but it's still prohibited. According to this, when you go to the Bet HaMikdash and the uh, Levim are playing music, you're not, you wouldn't be allowed to listen to the music. The music is only there for Avodah, to enhance the right to enhance the glory of the Shekhinah. It's not a concert hall. It's not, you know, a lot of churches, they become concert halls. Everybody goes just to listen to the, the Bach music, right? No, that's not what this is about. This is a uh, this is only to enhance the, the service itself. Um, so it would be very interesting because uh, you know, I would want to hear the music. Uh, all right. So they have to have another band outside that's playing uh, uh, playing similar music. And so so you wouldn't violate that. Okay, uh, anyway, back to the subject, right? So we just said um, that after the mitzvah is finished, then you're allowed to smell it. Um, or at least it wouldn't be me'ila uh, if you do smell it. Um, okay. Now you're going to make this a general rule that anything that I use for a mitzvah once I'm done with the mitzvah, then I can, you know, like this is like the etrog after Sukkot, then can you smell it? We do, then we eat it, we make jam out of it, right? Um, uh, but how about other things that are actually, actually Kodesh? Okay, every morning, the first thing that they did in the Beit HaMikdash is that they would go up to the uh, altar, the Mizbeach. The Mizbeach had all the leftovers burning all night and they were turned into ashes, all leftovers of all the korbanot. And so the Kohen, the first Kohen that would run up the ramp, he would get there and he would take a shovel full of ashes, take them down off the Mizbeach and put them on the floor next to the Mizbeach. Okay, that's what they have to clean off the Mizbeach, clean off the top of the Mizbeach. And now, so that's the Mizbeach, you take the ashes, you put them there. Now you think, I did it, right? Now I'm finished. What if I go and take those ashes and I use them for something, right? Would that be me'ila? So here the Pasuk says, you samo, you have to put them down there and don't spread, the, don't scatter them, put them down there and don't benefit from them. So what do you see here? We see one example where you're not allowed to benefit from something, even though you finished using it. And so therefore we can learn this as a, a prototype, a binyan av, for all other laws that in those cases also, even though I finished doing the mitzvah, I'm not allowed to use it. And so therefore, uh, in, the, in the case of ketoret, even once the smoke goes up, I should be allowed to smell the leftovers, right? So what's going on? I have this contradiction. The answer is going to be, very important principle in, in halachic midrash that when you have one example of a certain law, then that one example can be a prototype for all similar examples. But if I if the Torah tells me in two places a certain law, then I say, why do you need to tell me in two places? You could have told me in one, and that would have been the example for everything else. If you're telling me it in two places, then that means only uh, specifically applies only to those two. So if, if you told me only about Tudamat Hadeshen, that even after it's used, after I finished, I still can't benefit from it, then I would assume that that's true everywhere. But I do, in fact, have another place, which is Big Kihuna. Let's see what that is. Tudamat Hadeshen Hadamaran. We already spoke about that. Big Dekihuna. Dikhtib Bidicham Sham. 
מלמד שתאונין גניזה, אוקיי, זה מפה יקרא, תתפב, זה talking about the garments of the כהן גדול, that he uses, he, uh, he just when he did the יום כיפור, right, with his special garments, he's finished. Now it says he takes them off and he leaves them there, הניחם שם. And the Midrash learns that that means that you can't use them again. You have to throw them in Geniza. That's it. One time use only. And so what do you see here? Another example where even though I finished the mitzvah, I used, I used these up. I can't use them again. I still can't go and I can't uh, wear them for pajamas uh, later, right? I'm not allowed to derive benefit from uh, from this from these uh, this clothing. So there you go. This is the answer. I have two two places, Trumatadeshan and the Bigdekehuna, the the Bigadim of Khan Gadol. And since it's the Torah says in two places that I can't use them even after I'm done. So it means only those two places, but Ketorit would be okay. Okay. Um, now Hanicha, that answer works, but only for some people. Hanicha Rabanan Geniza. Okay, so the majority opinion was, in fact, that you can never use those big dekyona again. But there was another opinion of Rabidosa, and he says that you, the Kohen Gadol cannot use them again. But you can be, make them hand-me-downs, and a regular Kohen could take those clothing, and he can use them. Uh, so, according to that, so you, uh, you know, this would not be a good example. Vinicham doesn't mean you can't use them again. It means that the Kohen Gadol cannot use them again, but other people can use them. So, therefore, they take that out. Now we have only one example of Turumat Hadeshen. And since we have one example, that could be a Binyanav to all the other examples, including Ketoret, and that would be a question. Uh, so, uh, we're going to answer it by finding another one, another one to join with Turumat Hadeshen, and then it, that would be Shneketuvim. I would not, would not teach. As you know, right, if there's a murder between two cities and you don't know who did it, so you measure the nearest city and the elders from that city come and bring a calf and break its neck and they say, you know, that is as a kind of a, a replacement, a symbolic killing and say, and they wash their hands and say, uh, we are not responsible. Um, anyway, the Eglarufa, after you break its neck, you can't use it anymore. You cannot derive benefit from it. Um, you obviously can't eat it because it doesn't have kosher shechita, but you can't even use the skin, nothing. And so here's another case where, even though I finished the mitzvah, I used it up, I used it already, still I cannot derive benefit. So therefore I have Turmat Adeshen and Eglarufa. Since I have two, those I cannot learn those from those two cases to anything else. And therefore in the case of Ketoret, once it's done, I can smell, I am allowed to smell the leftovers. And then every, that's reconciled because that's what we said before. All right, so this is a good answer for most people, but not for everybody because there's another opinion. Most people say if you have two sources, then they cannot teach a, a, teach a, a general principle. But there are some say that even two sources can also be a prototype of Binyan Av, for uh, and teach a general principle for other cases. And so you have two year, but I could still learn from there and that Ketoret would be the same. Maik alimemar, answer, tereh me'ote ketibe, ketib v'samo uchtiv ha'arufa. In these two cases, there's a further language uh, um, uh, diuk that, is, uh, that, these apply only, uh, that these apply only here and nowhere else. One is Vesamo, regarding the Turumat it says you take the ashes and you put them, you put it. 
So it says the word it, meaning this is something you have to place there next to the altar and you can't use them, but it only applies to this case and not other cases. And also regarding the calf, it says ha-arufa, the, one, the, the, the broken one, meaning that this law applies only here, that you can never use it again, and does not apply to other cases. And so even if you think in general that I can learn a general principle from two cases, these two cases have other limiting factors. And so now we've resolved that problem and we see um, uh, why in these cases, you cannot use something after it's done, but in case of ketoret, you would be able to smell it, or you wouldn't, at least you wouldn't be chayav me'ila if you did smell it after the mitzvah was already finished. Okay, so that's what we say, right? Is smell actually prohibited for benefit? Uh, we said yes, um, as opposed, unlike what Bar Kapara said, we had to modify his words. Is benefit prohibited after mitzvah is done? Um, uh, only for ashes and broken calf, but other, in general, no, it would not be prohibited. All right, so now we finished that tangent. Uh, we're going to go back and see three more proofs for Rava. The next proof is going to be from a calf, which is really nice because we just talk, talked about the Egladufa, and now we're going to bring a proof from Egladufa. So you see how, how, how nice and well structured this is? We thought this was a tangent, but within the tangent, the, the, uh, the editors of the Talmud place the next thing that is going to come up. So, you, so it wasn't really a tangent. Uh, so you see that this is a very carefully edited and crafted sugya. Uh, could be because um, this would be good for memory, right? So we went on this tangent, and that actually prompts you to what the next case is. So you don't you have to remember five things, and uh, this would make it easier to remember because you could link one thing to the next. Um, uh, but besides that, it also um, creates this kind of beautiful structure. Everything. Uh, uh, weaves into uh, into the next. All right, so let's see what the proof is from the calves. Tashema hichnisa lerivka vedasha keshera b'shvil shetinak v'tadush pesula. We're talking about any heifer. Uh, um, no, sorry, we're talking about um, a uh, either an egladufa or a para aduma. Um, both of them. They can't be used beforehand, right? A para aduma has to be something that never worked a day in its life and never had a burden. Um, and so therefore, if it even for one day, for one minute, it carries a burden, you can't use it for a para aduma anymore. Um, okay, good. So now what's the case here? Uh, I took this animal, this heifer, and I, I brought it into the, into the cow pen. And while it was walking, it happened to thresh, it happened to step on some uh, wheat, and it was helpful to me. So, you know, it's something that I'm glad that it did it, but I, it was not my intention. Uh, it just has to go this way in order to get to, the, to, the, to, to its food. So in that case, keshera, right, because I didn't intend it. Um, however, if I brought it in and it's following together with the other animals, it's going to nurse from its mother. And I also wanted it to thresh while it was there, then pesula, right? So now what kind of case is this? Now it's impossible in order to get to its mother to nurse, it has to go this way, it has to walk over the, the, the grain. And so it's necessarily going to thresh. Um, uh, you know, I don't have to go and take everybody outside and clean up the whole place. So it's not necessarily gonna happen. And I had intention in the second case, I'm happy and I wanted it to thresh. And what's the law in the second case? That uh, cow 
can no longer be used for a red heifer, right? Because it worked. It's not allowed to work a day in its life. And see, it worked on the way to, to nursing its mother. And that's a proof for Rava, because Rava is the one who's stringent in this very exact case when it's unavoidable, even though you intend it. Okay, so um, that's a proof. That would be a question, a challenge to Abaye, who's lenient. So he'll say, Hatam uh, So in that case, it says, the Pasuk says, uh, the animal, here is, um, this is regarding the, the one that you break its neck. Has to be an animal that it, it was not worked. Now the word ubad is interesting because it's written chaser, ayin bet dalid. So it can be pronounced avad, right? Lo avad ba, it did not work. But we pronounce it with a u, ubad. It was not worked, right? It had never been worked. Now the difference between the passive and the uh, the active and the passive is something we've seen already. Uh, the passive is going to be more expansive and include anything, even if I didn't intend it to. Uh, so, so our first answer is shanatam because it says lo ubad ba Since it uses the passive, it cannot have been worked at all, and therefore this is a specific law regarding the heifer that. Um, even though I didn't intend uh, for it to work, uh, still it's, pro it's prohibited. And that's why. But you can't learn from this case to general other cases. Uh, well, if that's true, what about the first case? In the first case is going in to get food and it happens to thresh. And I said, that's okay. So why is it okay in that case, you know, when I didn't intend for it to thresh? Uh, why is that? How is that? That should also be not allowed if it's really ubad. So we answer: So there's another brayta that says as follows: If a bird landed on this heifer one time, a bird landed on it. So now it's, look, it carried a burden, right? A bird landed on it. No, still okay. I can use it for an agladufa. I could use it for paraduma. But if a male tried to uh, mount it in order to mate, pesula, that's no good. Now, what's the difference between the two? In either way, it's doing some work, a little bit of work by carrying the bird, right? Or work by mating. Mating is also work because uh, that's the farmer wants it to reproduce. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's work. Um, so, Ahmad of Papa, Oh, so here we're going to take the best of both worlds. If it was written chaser avad, and we would have and we read it chaser avad, if we, it was only the active verb, then we would say only if you do it on purpose and you say you know go and thresh, then that would be the only problem. That would be the most uh, the most lenient. If it was written ubad with a vav and we also read it within the passive way, then I would say, yeah, all cases, no matter how, even if the bird lands on it, even if I didn't intend, that would be, make it prohibited. But it happens to be in this case, we have, we have both. It's written avad in the active, but we read it ubad in the passive. So therefore we say, 
Yeah, ubad, but only when it's like avad. So just like avad, when I want it to happen, so too, an ubad, when it happens by itself, if it's if I like it, if I like that it happened. So that's the distinction. When the bird lands on it, I don't care about the bird. I don't, I don't care if the bird has a place to land. And so therefore, that's not considered work at all. But in other cases, even if I didn't tell it to do, uh, to, to thresh, but it, it did it on its own, since it's something I like it to do, I wanted it to do, um, therefore, in that case, is prohibited. All right, so that solves all of the all of those cases, and now we go to the next one um, about a lost piece of clothing. Tashima aveda lo yishchatena lo agabe mita ve lo agabe magod lesorka aval shutcha lesorka al gabe mita al gabe magod. Okay, so someone lost a cloth, and I found it. And so now I have to hold on to it until the owner comes. I have to take care of it. I'm not allowed to use it because that would be stealing. He didn't give me permission to use it. Okay, so therefore I cannot put it uh, on, on my bed, use it as a bed sheet or uh, on a, a frame. Uh, but you can do it. Um, Okay, I can't do it for my own good, but let's say this is a sheet that needs airing out. It'll be good for it if I if I put it on a frame, like a frame that you put things out to dry or to put it on my bed. So I cannot derive benefit from it, but I can put it out if it's good for the item because that's my way of taking care of it. Now, let's say, let's say um, uh, it is good for the item to be spread out. It needs to air out, but I also have guests. Then I have to put it away, whether it's whether I like it there or even if it's good for it to air out. Why? Because see now the now the guests come, they're gonna come and say, Oh, what a beautiful tablecloth. And see, I'm getting, getting benefit from the fact that my uh, my guests are enjoying it, and that would be stealing. And so therefore, even if it's good for it, I have to put it away. Now, this is a case um, that um, I, um, I, I am happy to derive benefit from it, and there's no other right. It's a, a, there's no other way it's a, it's a, to do it right. So it's unavoidable and intended. That's the case we're talking about, and yet it's prohibited. So you see, that's a good proof for Rava. Uh, but we will reject this proof. Shanatam de Kalela. Now, in this case, the reason why I shouldn't do it is because he is damaging it. Why? Because now, evil eye. That means the, 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 neighbor, the neighbors are going to come, the guests are going to come. So, oh, look at this beautiful thing, right? And they're going to have envy upon him, and that'll bring bad luck. Or because they're going to see it, and then some people will see it, and they'll end up stealing it. And so this is a bad idea to put it out when there's others around, right? But that's for a different reason, not because of the benefit reason. If it was only the benefit reason, then it would be okay. All right, so no proof from that case. And now the final proof, Tashima Chesut Mochrin Kedarkan. Someone that sells clothing, he's a peddler. He goes all around the street and he happens to be selling sometimes uh, shatnez, woolen linen things together. He sells it to non-Jews or to other Jews who will sell it to non-Jews. And so um, in those cases, the, uh, the peddler would also be the model. And so he would wear the things that he's going to sell. Now, uh, is he allowed to wear shatnez? In general, the rule is you're not allowed to wear shatnez 
if you're deriving benefit, if it's keeping you warm. Um, but if you're wearing it for another reason, because you're only because you're showing it off, then you're not really wearing it. And so that would be okay. So it says um, they can wear it, kedarkan, you can wear it in a normal way. As long as you don't intend to get warmth or dryness out of it when it's hot, when it's cold, or when it's raining. Um, uh, yeah, or, or shade, you know, they're not, you're not getting shade from it when it's sunny, or uh, dry from when it's raining. So, those who are very careful with misfot will not wear it. They'll put it. They'll put it on a on a stick and and uh, carry it behind them. And so let's analyze this case. Now here is a play is a case where you can. Uh, you can, in fact, do like the sinuin. This is the answer, right? The question here: what the the the, the proof for Dava was from the fact that it says that you um, would uh, you not allowed to have kavana, which means if you did have kavana, even though there's no other way, right? Uh, it would be prohibited, right? So you have to make sure not to have not to have kavana to derive benefit from it. Um, but the answer is and it's not really a proof because there is another way. It's an easy way. You don't have to be wearing it. You can put it on a stick behind you, like the people that are careful do. Um, as long as you not have a kavana, then that's permitted. So now Rava brought this as a proof for him. Actually, this will be a proof against him, right? The Imam is doing a uh, jujitsu move, which actually comes from the Talmud. That's why it's called a jujitsu move, um, right? You brought a proof for, and now it's going to go against, not against this, this interpretation. Remember the box before, the first interpretation? Um, and that, in, in that interpretation, even this is the opposite case, where you, uh, are, you are not intending to derive benefit, um, and, and there is, a, but there's no other way, uh, there, the, yeah, um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go up to the chart a second so we can, uh, check it. Right. So this is actually talking about this box where it is possible and you do not intend, right. It's possible because you could put it behind you. Um, and you do not intend to, uh, derive benefit. Um, and so, according to Rava, it's prohibited in all, according to both opinions. And yet, this case said that it's permitted that he can do that. And so, this actually is a refutation of this Rava. All right. So, that is uh, the conclusion of this section. And now, we just have a little bit more to go. Um, regarding Going all the way back to the Mishnah, original Mishnah, said that chametz, you're not allowed to derive benefit from it. And that even includes using the chametz for fuel. You can't take your chametz, you have to burn it outside and not use it. If you burn it in your oven and then cook it, cook with it, that's also deriving benefit from, from chametz. And that would also not be allowed. Uh, okay, we're going to talk about what about if it's a new oven. Let's see. Hadash yutats yashan yusan. Okay, if you take um, uh, orla, orla, the, the uh, um, uh, things that grow the first three years, 
uh, all the parts, not only the fruit, but all the parts are, are not allowed. Or something that was kilayim. You take and you take the, the, the hard parts and you burn them in an oven. Um, you, 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 light them, you light them up in, in the oven. If it's a new oven, then you have to break it. If it's an old oven, just yutsan, like sonen, you just wait till it cools down. What's the difference? Well, a new oven, the first time that you heat it up, that actually makes it stronger. So in that case, you're benefiting permanently from the fire that you made there. So since this oven is permanently going to be better better because of this pro prohibited items that you burnt in it, you're never allowed to use the oven again. However, if it was an old oven and it already went through a heating process, then um, burning these uh, prohibited items in it, you can't use the oven while it's hot, but just wait till it cools down, take everything out, and the oven, you get no permanent benefit from it. So then the oven you can use again. Okay, the Braita continues and says, Now, what if you did put this, these prohibited items as fuel and then, and you put bread in it and baked bread? What's the status of the bread? Um, now, you're not allowed to do that because you can't derive benefit. But now that the bread is made, right, do we say that that bread is prohibited? hapat asura. Why? He would say, in some way, the, the heat that was uh, inside the fuel goes into the bread, and now it transfers to the bread, and the bread itself is prohibited. Um, they say, no, listen, you weren't allowed to do that. You weren't allowed to derive benefit. And now you derive benefit by baking the bread. But now that the bread is done, whoever baked the bread, that was his problem. Now that the bread is here, right? The, uh, the heat from there, the fact doesn't go into the bread. It's not like pig that's going into, uh, into a, a, a permitted item. And therefore, the bread itself is permitted. Gehalim means coals, but it could also mean the ashes. If uh, this, these twigs and, and uh, husks and things, um, if after they were all burnt and uh, they were not edible anymore, but they're still hot, if I would bake it on those ashes, then that's permitted because they're not food anymore. And so they're not, they're not, they're no, longer, no longer have the, the designation of being prohibited items. Okay, that's Braita number one. Now we have a contradiction from a second b'raita. This b'raita says whether the oven is old, new or old, just wait till it cools down and you'll be fine. So what do we, how do we distinguish? The one the, the before that said it's prohibited, this was all the B. In other words, we could say that the entire thing is the B until here. And this would make sense. See, according to the B, why is the bread uh, prohibited? Because that heat that goes into the bread, it makes it prohibited. Well, that's gonna be the same for the oven that's new because this oven, now that it derived benefit from the heat, so now that benefit is in there. And even the next time after it cools down and heats up again, that's still, I'm still benefiting from it. It continues. It's like the item itself becomes prohibited. However, according to Chamim, just like the bread is permitted, right? Because I shouldn't have done it, but now that I did it, the bread is okay. There's nothing in the bread that's, that's bad. Same thing with the oven, even though this, the oven is new and I should not, should not have used these prohibited items to make, to strengthen the oven. Whoever did that will violate, but it doesn't go into the oven. It's not like non-kosher uh, things being absorbed, absorbed in the oven. And so therefore, uh, according to him, it is allowed. Um, and so that is the machloket between the two. And uh, we can uh, use that to resolve 
the, 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 the two baraitot. And tomorrow we'll see more about the reasonings, reasoning behind each of the opinions of Rabbi and Rabbanan. Baruch Adonai Dolam, Amen ve'amen.